four, you don't have to turn there. Here's what it says. It says that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I'm going to tell you how this whole message developed in my mind. I kept thinking about the verse uh, in Matthew and in Luke where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he went back to his friends, his disciples, and found them asleep. And he said, couldn't you stay awake with me for a while? And you know, that just really touched my heart because at that point in time, Jesus really needed a friend. He needed his disciples, and his disciples weren't there for him. And I got to thinking about the day, and you know, Jesus uh, many times in the Gospels would say, you know, my day has not come yet, okay? Do you remember the first miracle that he did at Cana? Where it says that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. But let, let me ask you this. Can you be rejoicing and be glad the day you get the notice that you're going to be audited by the Internal Revenue Service? <laughs> I've been audited several times in the past. And I'm telling you, that is one scary day. How about the day that, uh, you know, you go to the doctor and you get the news that the tests that they took are very negative and bad. Or that there's a family or a friend, uh, that are this dying or close to death. Or that you get that bill in the mail that's big enough that you didn't expect it and you just really don't have money to pay. You know, can we rejoice and be glad in that day? Yeah. And that's really the test. That's the test of And I want to, I want you just to relax and I want you to think about what we're going to study today because we're going to study about Jesus Christ and a day in his life. You know, this week alone, I have interacted with a man He's dying in his own house. His wife is watching him die. That's hard. I have interacted with people who have two different couples that have failing marriages or they have faith. Uh, people that are sick, people that have certain addictions, uh, people that have financial woes, people that are lonely. You know, there's a lot of really lonely people in this world. And uh, as I think about Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was really no one, nowhere, that was lonelier than he was at that point in time. Now, if you've got a phone, if you could turn it off for me, because um, I don't want to embarrass you when I put my finger at you. Okay. Oh, really? I'm just kidding. Let me read something to you out of Hebrews. I, I really want you to understand that Jesus understands. Okay? Jesus Christ understands us. 
Listen to what Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, says. Listen to this. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So we're supposed to hold firmly to our faith. He says in verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one, that would be Jesus, who has been tempted. Now that word in the Greek could be translated tested also. Okay, Jesus Christ has been tempted and tested in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Now, believing that and knowing that, that he was tempted and tested in every way, yet without sin, that gives us something to stand on. That gives us something to anchor on. Because the next verse says this, listen to this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find help, or find grace to help us in our time of need. Mercy is you not getting what we deserve. Okay? What we deserve. What we deserve, separation and punishment from God is what we really deserve. But mercy takes that away, right? What's grace? Well, grace gives us what we don't deserve. And what we don't deserve is we don't deserve God's blessings. We don't deserve his fellowship. We don't deserve the hope of heaven. We don't deserve the promise in this life. That's grace. We get what we don't deserve. And we don't get what we deserve with mercy. That's a pretty good plan, isn't it? He says here, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's interesting when you scroll down into Hebrews chapter 5, listen to what it says in verse 7. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. You know, sometimes I think we forget just exactly how much of a prayer person Jesus Christ was. He was always going up somewhere alone and praying to his Father. And it says here, it gives us a glimpse inside of his prayers. It says he offered them up with loud cries and tears. Wow. You know, I I wish I could be, you know, above on a rock and when where Jesus was praying, because man, talk about learning how to pray. And that I'm sure he knew how to pray. It says here, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, to his father. His father had the power to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now, he was heard. What was his prayers? 
Well, we're going to get into that in just a minute. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus Christ learned obedience from what he suffered. How do we learn obedience from what we suffer? Right? Yeah. You know, Paul learned to be content, he said. And I'm sure that that came through many trials. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. It says, and once made perfect or complete or mature, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus Christ is the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Listen to what John chapter 17, verse 4 says. You're welcome to turn there with me if you want to, because we'll be kind of hanging around John a little bit. John 17, 4. And I want you to think about what we just read about the prayers that were offered up. The Last Supper has been had. Jesus and his disciples have celebrated the Last Supper. It is indeed the night before he would be crucified. And it's the day before, it's actually, I guess you would consider it the day before he would be arrested. This is what he says in John 17, 4. He says, he's praying to his father. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, people that don't believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh are going to have a hard time explaining this verse. Because Jesus prays, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Before creation. But what really struck me about this verse is this. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Was his work complete? Had he already gone to the cross? No. Had he already been to the Garden of Gethsemane? No. Had he already been scourged and whipped and beaten, his hair pulled from his beard, slapped in the face? No. Had he already spent six hours on the, on the cross screaming, my God, my God, why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? No. But yet he prays here as if it had been a completed action. Jesus Christ had made up his mind beforehand that he was going to go to the cross. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You know, that really should be our attitude. You know, who knows how many more days, weeks, or years any of us have on face this earth. And what a blessing to be able to say, Lord, I completed the work on earth that you gave me to do. You know, that goes hand in hand with Jesus Christ saying, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Enter uh, into the joy of the Lord. That's John 17, and he would go on to pray for his disciples. He would go on to pray for 
his uh, the the disciples converts and look at John eighteen, John eighteen one. It says here when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he is, and his disciples went into it. Now, if you know anything about the geography there, the temple, uh, the Jewish temple kind of sat on a hill. And then there was a valley, and at the bottom, it was called Kidron Valley, and at the bottom there was a little creek that ran through there, and then you would climb up the hill to go to the Mount of Olives, or Gethsemane, where there was many private gardens, many of which were olive groves. And Jesus Christ went up to that olive grove. Interesting, a little interesting side note, is when they had the temple sacrifices, especially when there was a big holiday like Passover, that's when this was happening, there would be so many animal sacrifices offered in the temple that they had literally below the altar, they had an aqueduct system where the blood would run out outside of the city, outside of the temple, and it would run down the Kidron Valley, and that creek that you would cross the bottom of the valley during the celebration like that would be blood red. There'd be so much blood in it. They estimate that during Passover, there were some 200,000 animals sacrificed. That's a lot of animals, isn't it? There would be over a million people uh, in Jerusalem at this point in time. So, so he goes and it says, when he finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, this would be Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers. Your other uh, uh, gospels say a cohort. A core cohort was 600 Roman soldiers. Okay? 600. So Judas comes with 600 Roman soldiers. Okay. And some officials from the chief priests, their soldiers, the temple guards, and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. You see, they were thinking that maybe Jesus would hide from them, or maybe Jesus would cause an uprising and try to fight his way out of it. That's the reason they brought the torches and the weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? Why? My version says, I am he. But the he is in italics. Really, it could say, I am. Now, in the Old Testament, who was the great I am? God. God the Father. He said, I am, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with him. The other versions say that Judas, Judas betrayed him with a kiss. But when you go to the original Greek, the, the tense of the, of the verb says that he kept kissing Jesus. He was going to make sure that they knew who Jesus was. Which tells us, 
that Jesus was a fairly ordinary looking man. He was not 6'4", had Fabio hair, <laughs> blue eyes, you know, beautiful blonde beard. Jesus Christ was an average looking Jewish man. Probably in that day, the average height for a, a Jew was about five foot five to five foot six or seven. Jesus may have not been any taller than that. Probably had dark eyes, dark skin, and dark hair, which many Jewish men have. So he just blended in with the crowd. Even in Isaiah, it says that there was nothing special about his looks that we would, you know, behold him or that we would worship him for his looks. He was just an average looking man. So, we see here that the cohort, the Roman soldiers, Judas, the temple priests, the temple guards, and the Pharisees went up. Well, let's turn here to Matthew chapter 26 to get a little bit different view of the story. Matthew 26, and I'll be in verse um, 36. Okay, 2636, it says this. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Does anybody know what the word Gethsemane means? Oh, it means the olive press. That's where they pressed olives. That's where they made olive oil. What they would do is they would harvest the olives, and they would put it in the press, and then they would, would, would have stones that were pretty heavy and they would press the olives or they would, they would do it in other means, possibly by, uh, feet. And then the juice would go and be collected and they would have olive juice. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, in one of the <coughs> deepest hours of depression in his life, would go to the olive press? And we would see so much stress laid on the Savior that great drops of blood would be pressed out of him. Well, let's continue on. It says that Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. One of the versions says that he went about a stone's throw. So depending on how good of an arm you have, um, you know, maybe a hundred feet, somewhere in there. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death. I mean, basically, he said to his friends, his disciples, I am so stressed out that I feel like dying. I feel like I'm going to die. Stay here and keep watch with me. What was he really saying? Just support me. Just be my friend. Just be here with me. I'm going to be conversing to the Father. I'm going to be reconciling what I know I have to do with what I necessarily don't want to do, and I need you to be here for me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, 
may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus Christ is isolated here. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And sure enough, just a few short hours later, Peter would be denying that he ever even knew the Lord. Watch that you don't enter into temptation and pray. It says, he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible, notice the difference in the prayer. His first prayer was, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. But the second time he went, he says, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. I love the King James Version of this. It says, nevertheless, nevertheless do I want anything that your will be done. That was Jesus' attitude. It says, when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. I think your version might say that they were filled with sorrow. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the, the third time, saying the same thing. Well, you know, I have been praying, as I told you before, about certain things, and I've been praying about them every day for years. Jesus Christ is a perfect example. You don't give up. You don't give up. You know, maybe... Your prayers will be answered in the way you think that they will, and maybe they won't. But you know what? Your prayers will always be answered. God will answer your prayers one way or the other. This is when he then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Wow. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Let's take a look at that real quick. Luke 22, 39, and I'm going to begin verse... Oh, it's only verse 39. 22, 39. Let's get Luke's take on this, okay? He said, Jesus went out as usual. So Judas knew that this is probably where Jesus was going to be. And that's when he went to the, to the uh, Jewish powers and said, listen, I know where he's going to be. You know, if you'll give me the 30 pieces of silver, I'll tell you. 30 pieces of silver, by the way, was the price that the Old Testament put on a slave or a foreigner. It says here, uh, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. For if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, 
He found them asleep, exhausted and sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You know, here's the deal. Here's what we can get out of this, okay? When your friends fail you, when your family fails you, when people fail you, God will never fail you. He sent an angel to Jesus Christ because he knew that Jesus' disciples and friends were failing him. And he says, says he sent an angel to strengthen him. You know what, folks? Listen. Don't move faster than your angel can, okay? All right? God will send help. God will send an angel in that hour, in that time when you get the bad news, in that time when somebody's dying or died, in that time when the 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 report comes in the mail that you're going to be audited, or your husband or wife says, I'm done. God will send an angel. Is anything too hard for God? No. No. Will he ever leave us or forsake us? No. No. You know, Jesus Christ breathed for three hours, on, or excuse me, for six hours on the cross. Father, he said, my God, my God, he was speaking to the Father, he was speaking to the Holy Spirit. Why have you forsaken me? I want you to think about this for just a minute. Could any of us guess how many sins we'll commit in our lifetime? I can't count that high, first of all. Okay, But it's got to be in what? Hundreds of thousands? At least? You know, I mean, it's got to be a lot. Now, if you think about this, let's just say, let's just say that it's I think I'd be very conservative when I say a hundred thousand. Yeah, that's got to be real conservative. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when they look at some of you. Um, you know, I'm going for a half million, okay? Let's go for a half million, all right? Half a million sins we commit in our lifetime. Now, multiply that by every single person that will ever be born and live on the face of the earth except Jesus Christ. That's a lot of sin that God imputed on Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. The first Adam of the Adam and Eve sin and lost fellowship with God. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, didn't sin but took our sins on him and lost fellowship with God at that time. Jesus' time had come, huh? The time the day had come. The day that he had been talking about was there. It had come. Your time, your year, your week, your month, your day, your hour is going to come if it hasn't already, okay? And we need to go to God in prayer. Get on your face and pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. You see, if we're in God's will, it really honestly doesn't matter what happens here, okay? Because we can overcome everything with God's help. 
everything. The point is this. Will you be found asleep? Or will you be found awake when that day comes? Okay? If you're found asleep, you're going to be ineffective. And your faith is going to be ineffective to handle that situation. So we dare not sleep. Jesus told us many times, be on your guard. Watch out. Don't, don't sleep. I would prefer that we rejoice and be glad that God made this day and has a plan for us to overcome everything. Let me ask you this before we close, okay? Is there anything, truly, think about this in your life, is there anything that you can't overcome with God's help? Anything. Death. Disease. Money problems. Relational problems. There's nothing on the face of this earth that man can do to you or you can do yourself to yourself that can cut off God's goodness to you. That's good news, isn't it? Pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, please forgive me for my lack of faith. Forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Guide my light, my life, and help me to trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, what are we going to sing, Johnny?